With the 60th pick in the 2011 NBA Draft, the Sacramento Kings select Isaiah Thomas from the University of Washington. Good night, New Jersey. Isaiah Thomas was the last player selected in the 2011 NBA Draft. Not that it mattered, though. The 5'9'' guard was ready to prove his worth to a league full of giants. Even though he's small, he plays bigger. He's a guy that can make a team. And he decided to celebrate with a huge party in his hometown of Tacoma, Washington. His musical guest of choice, Nipsey Hussle. After being put onto his music by a college teammate, IT and Nipsey struck up a friendship, trading tweets and messages on social media. They'd met briefly at one of Nipsey's concerts in Seattle. They texted each other. They were friends from a distance. I ended up getting drafted, and I was asking if there was any way he could come out and do a little draft party for me. And he was like, hell yeah. It wasn't just business. It wasn't just like we got booked. Hustle appreciated, you know, that this young black male made it to the league. Nipsey's brother Sam was part of the crew that went to the draft party. And they showed us love. They had the hotels, everything, anything we needed. Before the party, IT and Nipsey really got a chance to hang out in person for the first time. We're chopping it up like a couple hours before the show. I'm, I'm kicking it with him. All his homies, the All Money In crew's in there. I got a couple of my friends in there. You know, on one of his songs, he say, sipping hot tea before he hit the stage. He really had the hot tea in the hotel room sipping it. And he's like, this is my end season. This is how I get right. You know, kind of like whatever you do before your games to get you mentally right. The two young men hit it off while they pregame. IT assumed they'd head to the party and Nipsey would perform a few tracks and then just dip. You know, usually rappers, they do a few songs. They probably do five or six songs maybe and then they're out of there. You know, they're they're getting their bread and then they're out of there. When he get on stage, we're already on stage waiting on him. One of my homeboys, while he's going through songs and stuff, he like, man, play this song, play this song. He stops and he like, he's like, hold on, cuz. He's like, hold on, cuz. We gonna play the whole marathon tape. And I was like, he really about to do the whole, you know, the marathon was that 20 songs. He did every song where everybody was singing. That's when I knew it was like genuine love. From that night forward, Nipsey and IT's friendship evolved into a brotherhood. It wasn't lost on them how their lives ran in parallel lanes. And we was kind of going through the same stuff, trying to, you know, poke our chest out and be who we always thought we could be to the world. Man, I've been knowing IT since he was in college, man. I look at his career like I look at mine. He made himself valuable, you know what I'm saying, against a lot of odds. And so I, I fuck with IT heavy. From 30 for 30 Podcast and The Undefeated, this is The King of Crenshaw. I'm Justin Tinsley. Episode 3, Songs in the Key of Life. In the mid and late 2000s, Nipsey Hussle had one foot in the streets and the other hell bent on kicking in the door in L.A.'s rap scene. Existing in two worlds isn't easy even for somebody as charismatic and dedicated as Nipsey. He was really reckoning with himself that, who am I based on the sum of experiences I've had thus far, and who can I be based on all of the unknown circumstances I haven't walked into yet? You know, I think there was quite a bit of exploration of his shadows. 
Debbie Brown was an on-air personality at K-Day in L.A. She was also a friend of the young rapper. I remember specifically there were at least two different times where we were supposed to do something and he just couldn't be found. Like, just couldn't be found. Like, I remember one day we were supposed to shoot something together and he just didn't come to set and he couldn't be reached and couldn't be found. And it took like a week to hear from him. And, you know, at that time he was just like, listen, like, man, I was just, I was just walking through some stuff. And, you know, whenever that happens, like, I just go ghost. Like, I just have to like completely get away from everything. So no one heard from me and and I'm sorry, but that's just it. Nipsey was trying to navigate the two big obstacles his Rolling 60s affiliation posed. The rules to the street and the police. He and his homeboy Jaystone hit the streets hard, promoting themselves and their music. But they had reached a limit on how far they could go to get the word out. It was places that we couldn't go. By us being from 60s, like we couldn't go to the A-Tray Gangsters and, and uh, put up posters. We couldn't go to the Hoovers and put up posters. We couldn't go to Inglewood and put up posters. A bad situation suddenly became worse when the police raided Nipsey's studio. So when the police came and raided that spot, yeah, that was a, that was a monkey wrench, that fucked me up. Nipsey, in his own words, was pure, not doing anything illegal at the time. But he had a prior charge, and there was a gun in the studio. Nipsey not only got picked up for the presence of the gun, the police seized all of his gear. They put a new case on me, I was just confused about it. And I remember like questioning everything, like yeah. I ain't had no answer for that one. <laughs> but, you know, it kind of discouraged me for a long time. It was a major setback, financially and emotionally. But the music he'd been making when the police raided his studio, it caught the ear of a bigwig at Epic Records. A person named Johnny Shipes, he was, he was uh, an executive at Epic Records. He had a joint venture up there at Epic, reached out to my people and was like, I want to sign up. All of a sudden, he was back in the game with a major label record deal in tow. I remember telling myself, you know, I must really love rap because every time I quit, I always come back to it. So I remember like, I ain't gonna quit no more. He almost immediately released the trio of mixtapes under the moniker Bullets Ain't Got No Names. Volume two featured Hustle in the House, the song too full of crippin' to keep on the radio. But still, a track so hard and so catchy, it made people want to learn more about him. He even graced the cover of the hip-hop magazine XXL as a member of his prestigious freshman class of 2010, alongside future stars like Freddie Gibbs, J. Cole, Big Sean, and Wiz Khalifa. Nipsey was on his way, but then the deal with Epic imploded just two years after they'd signed him. Call it a casualty of the times. In 2010, the music industry didn't know how to deal with the proliferation of streaming, legal and illegal. They were losing money. And Epic, like most labels, underwent a regime change. Existing talent, like Nipsey, got put on a shelf while the label searched for new blood. You know, you don't really get credit for what's already signed. And it's, it's in your interest to bring new talent to the building. Nipsey had enough experience hustling to know a raw deal when he saw one. And he wasn't in the business of wasting time. For seven years, he'd been trying to break out. Instead of sitting around and waiting for something to happen, Nipsey made a move. I had a convo with the general manager. I'm like, bro, I know how to get it out the trunk. You know what I mean? I appreciate what we've done. I mean, don't hold my career up. Let me, let me go back indie. 
We was all like, man, you know, what are we going to do without the label? Nipsey told his brother not to worry. He had a plan. We like, now listen, trust me. We winning. I got all my masters. It's some shit called streaming right now. It's some shit called uh, 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 TuneCore, iTunes, and, you know, CD Baby. And he was lacing this. He's like, man, I'm putting all my shit on there. We're going to market it. And when it start rolling, we're going to get money coming in every month. Fuck the middleman. Fuck the middleman. Nipsey not only saw his potential, but he believed in it. Much like his homies in the NBA, Nipsey was a young black man operating in an industry where the talent was majority black, but the decision makers were overwhelmingly white. He decided he wasn't going to wait on the power structure or the white man's money to bring him success. He wasn't going to play by the rules or follow the status quo. And a lot like the player empowerment era blossoming at the same time in the NBA, think LeBron James taking his talents to South Beach the same year. Nipsey was going to make it on his own, his way. He would rely on the survival skills and hustle he learned on the streets. But he also had an example of this independence and self-reliance from his father's homeland of Eritrea. Nipsey, his brother Sam, and their dad had traveled there in 2004. And that trip had changed the way Nipsey looked at himself and the world around him. I feel a sense of pride knowing the history of the struggle and and just the, the circumstances that our people overcame, you know, from being outnumbered, being against, you know, superpowers and coming out victorious and then um, being self-sufficient after the fact and being independent in a country that believes in self-sufficiency and building from scratch. And similar to what I stand for in music is, you know, taking the stairs and doing it the long way based on integrity. So I just felt a sense of pride and also, you know, a little bit obligated to carry that same integrity in my space. He negotiated a clean break from Epic while retaining ownership over the music he was recording. And then he doubled down on his own label, All Money In. You know, and it was really when I left Epic, a lot of the songs that was going on my album turned up into the turned into the marathon mixtape. And then I released it. In December 2010, Nipsey released a new mixtape. The title paid homage to his uphill journey he'd been running all these years. He called it the marathon. You know, if you really think about the metaphor of the marathon, when you look at it as like life, yeah. it's about endurance, it's about preparing, it's about mentally breaking through your barriers that tell you I can't keep going. You're more capable than you think you are and then you're conscious of. It's the mantra that would stay with Nipsey for the rest of his life. Honestly, mine too. I didn't know how much Nipsey changed my life with that concept at that time. I just knew I saw parallels to my own journey. I graduated college at the height of the recession in 2008. Like so many of my peers, we had to carve out what our own image of success looked like. And that time came with a lot of sleepless nights. A lot of nights where I wouldn't just second guess myself. It was more like third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh guessing myself. Looking at the ceiling wondering, am I really on the right path? In the years after college, I floated from job to unemployment, back to another job, and then back to unemployment. The only thing that kept what little bit of sanity I had left was writing. And to keep it a buck with you, 
It started out as something to pass the time when I wasn't applying for jobs. Then it grew into something I couldn't imagine myself not doing. So when Nipsey spoke of his life and his career in pursuit of his happiness, I felt parallels to my own journey. This is the thing about how Nipsey carried himself and spoke about the marathon. The concept of running your race, staying on your grind, and most importantly, going at your own pace. Well, that applies to everybody. Not just gangbangers or hustlers. Everyone. The person in medical school trying to grind it out. The single parent working multiple jobs to keep food on the table. Or the fledgling journalist trying to make flipping these words pay off. Athletes resonated with and were inspired by the concept of the marathon. Especially players in the NBA, like DeMarcus Cousins. It's just the fact that he made that a priority for our people. Not only did he make it a priority, but he also put that priority in the play. It's like, I'm not only talking about it, I'm going to also do it and show you how to do it. The ability to see and value the long term especially resonates with a player like DeMarcus. You want to rap about highs and lows, good laps and bad, being misunderstood? DeMarcus was drafted fifth overall in the 2010 NBA draft, the same year Nipsey broke from Epic and later dropped the marathon. DeMarcus signed with the Sacramento Kings and made the all-rookie team that first year. And for a good minute, the four-time All-Star was a bona fide top 10 player in the league. I mean, Pham was a walking 25 points and 10 boards in any arena he stepped in. Then came the obstacles. Why does the best big man in the game also have to be such a big headache? Boogie Cousins is uncoachable. Let's take last night as an example when he got two technicals and will now be suspended the game because he has 3,000 technicals. The clashes with coaches, refs, players, and media over his attitude, the suspensions, I'm trying, DeMarcus. I'm trying real hard to believe that you're better than these blow-ups, but you gotta do better. This guy also survived viral meningitis and a ruptured Achilles that derailed his career. Boogie Cousins is gonna be a member of the Golden State Warriors. Coming off a torn Achilles and heading into free agency, not a single team bit. So Boogie took matters into his own hands, made a few phone calls, and decided to settle on a one-year, mid-level exception deal worth a bit more than $5 million. He came hella close to a championship with the Warriors, only to get denied by the Raptors, and found himself once again chasing a contract. In April 2021, just before the start of the playoffs, DeMarcus signed with the LA Clippers. Tune drives, pass inside to Cousins, Cousins counted and the foul! A chance for a three-point play, 15 points in 10 minutes tonight. What a boost for the Clippers. DeMar DeRozan, another four-time All-Star, is cut from that same cloth. The kid from Compton left USC to go pro after just one year, mostly to help take better care of his mom, who lives with lupus. He went ninth in the 2009 draft, behind future stars like Blake Griffin, James Harden, and Steph Curry, and ended up with the Toronto Raptors. You can't get more different from South LA than Canada in the winter. I still was wearing chucks in the middle of December in Toronto in the cold. Year after year, he built up his skills and reputation, eventually becoming the Raptors' all-time leading scorer. He got the team to the playoffs in 2014, and again in 2015, and 2016. He got them to their first conference finals, and then... Breaking news into SportsCenter. The deal is done. Kawhi Leonard to the Raptors in a package deal that includes DeMar DeRozan going to the Spurs. 
Kawhi came in and led Toronto to its first franchise title. There's a new NBA champion, and it's a team from Toronto, Canada. What you gonna do? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that was always my mindset. Like, what you gonna do? And I was at my low points. And, you know, um, at your high points, you know, you go through so much at a young age that you're scared to accept a lot of high points in your life because you don't want that, that let down to hit you and knock you down. But for me, it was just, I found something I love in sports and there's gonna be obstacles. And as long as you could continue to run, continue to build, you know, build, 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 because it's, it's not gonna stop. In October 2013, Nipsey started the next lap in his marathon, and he dropped the Crenshaw mixtape. The music was dope as hell, but it was how he made the Crenshaw tape available to the masses that really got people's attention. Crenshaw was available online to download for free, but if you wanted a physical copy, Nipsey was charging $100. And just where did he get the idea to charge $100 for a CD from? I read a book, man. One of my homies, Big Bob, man, Big Bob Francis, he like one of my mentors. He put me on a book called Contagious. The second chapter was talking about this restaurant chain in Philly that starts selling $100 cheesesteaks. And it, it made all type of people mad, but it also got all type of press and publicity. You right. know what I'm saying? And why so, would it be $100? Exactly. Let me go check it. Exactly. You know, and it ended up on Oprah, on David Letterman, on all these big outlets and stuff. So... I was like, the whole book is about like what make things go viral. You know what I'm saying? And so when I read that, I put the book down. I'm like, we're going to do physicals and we're going to sell them for 100 It still sounds ridiculous. Like $100 for a, a, a CD? Nipsey, you're on drugs. I thought the idea was insane. I loved the fact that you were betting on yourself, but I still couldn't grasp the idea of why anyone would buy a CD for $100. Friends and supporters of Nipsey like music journalist Brian B. Dot Miller and culture critic Garrett Kennedy, they thought he lost his mind charging $100 for a CD, especially during the rise of digital streaming. Nip's brother Sam wasn't so sure either. He had a lot of crazy ideas, you know, and a lot of them, I'm questioning them. This $100 mixtape was definitely one of them. And my team was like, well, you got to justify the price. I'm like, man, we got to give him a shirt. A CD, hoodie, I'm going to go make all this shit. He's like, no, 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 we ain't giving them none of that. You buying a CD for 100 I said, bro, you crazy. Ain't nobody going to buy a CD for 100 He said, watch. Till the day it dropped, I was still like, I don't know. But man, that is, he had it hooked to his phone. Every time he would make a sale, he had it bing, bing, bing into his phone. And I remember we was all at the shop and his shit was just going off. You know, for me at this time, in this age, I've never seen no shit like this in my life. I've never... It was like a kid in the candy store or for the first time, your eyes being open. Every time I hear this shit chinging, it's a sale. And this shit was going up, going up. And now he's showing me the phone. He's got, you know, 70,000, 80,000. We looking like we hit the lottery. Niggas high-fiving it. <laughs> like this nigga's a genius. With the Crenshaw tape, Nipsey created the concept for a marketing campaign he called Proud to Pay, which was a callback to lyrics from his 2011 mixtape, The Marathon Continues. If you listen to TMC on the last song, I was like, um, one of the lyrics was like, um, they telling me they believe and I got style for days. 
And when I do drop an album, they'll be proud to pay. Nipsey knew that he had loyal supporters who understood his vision and would answer the call no matter the cost. Yeah, man. And I was and proud to pay. That's why I paid, most brother. Most definitely. And, but it was by choice. It wasn't by force. If you wanted to get it for free, you can go online and download it. Isaiah Thomas understood the vision off the rip. I didn't even think twice. I was just like, damn, it's $100? Forget it. I'm getting it. I'm getting it. And then, you know, he was able to see where his following was really coming from. For DeMarcus Cousins, supporting Nip was never in question. For me, it's, more, it's, it's no different than a clothing brand charging you a thousand for a pair of jeans. Like, it's, it's really no different. You put what you put into your art, you deserve to put your price point on it. So I, I respect it. DeMar DeRozan thought charging $100 for the Crenshaw mixtape showed Nipsey was thinking on another level. I thought it was genius. A lot of people looked at it like, man, I ain't buying that. But it's the belief in his product that he knew he was putting out what he felt like it was worth. To me, it was one of the dopest moves because it brought attention to it. Like, let me see why it's this much. Then once you listen to it, there's no denying it. Nipsey reached out to me and said, yo, can you post this on Rap Radar? BDOT invited Nipsey to pin a post for Rap Radar about the message behind Proud to Pay. Nipsey wrote, as an artist, my goal is to inspire, entertain, motivate, and most importantly, innovate, Nipsey wrote on the Rap Radar post. And as lovers of art, we should base our purchase on the artist's ability to do so. That being said, if my presence in the game has had any of those effects on you, $100 is your form of saying don't change. So Jay-Z, you know, he's always watching. <laughs> and he was a fan of Rap Radar. And he saw the post. And he read what Nipsey wrote and said, yo, that makes sense. And he told Elliot and I, like, yo, tell Nipsey I like what he's doing. And he said, send like an email or send an address or something like that. Next thing we knew, <laughs> we saw an image of 100 CDs of <laughs> Crenshaw at the Rock Nation office. A Jay-Z endorsement helped the Crenshaw tape truly go viral, just like the $100 cheesesteak. Here's Garrett Kennedy. The shit sold out. You know, it took off in a particular type of way, but it was, again, it was still one of those things where the story of that traveled really far, right? But it still wasn't people talking about the music unless you were already really, really, really tapped into like West Coast hip hop. Like other than that, you weren't really talking about the music itself. You were talking about the business model, which was a great model. And that headline was very sexy of, you know, Jay-Z bought, you know, a bunch of copies or whatever. That was a really sexy headline for a lot of people, but they still didn't take time to explore the music any of those things. Nipsey had new fans popping up everywhere, genuinely interested in learning what the hype was behind the guy selling the $100 mixtape. But Nipsey wanted people to respect his artistic vision just as much as his business vision. He still had work to do. A lot of work, actually. Isaiah Thomas couldn't help but draw motivation from Nipsey. One good season or one good album doesn't guarantee longevity. It was all about establishing your worth and doing so even when it looked like the deck was stacked against you. During those years of having to prove ourselves 
me being on non-guaranteed contracts. So having to work even harder to get guaranteed and me being a 5'9 guard in the NBA, like that, that shit don't happen. We was both grinding in different fields and, you know, just trying to get to the top with no handouts. It was surprised to everybody else what I was doing on the court, but I always dreamed of it and I seen it and I visualized it. And I know that was the same for him. I think that's what the definition of the marathon is. You can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but nobody else can. You know, like the Bible says, walk by faith, not by sight. You put the work in knowing that, you know, something can possibly happen and believing that something can happen when nobody else other than your team and the people around you believe it could. By 2017, both Nipsey and IT were on the verge of realizing their most ambitious dreams. Nipsey was focused on completing his first studio album, Victory Lap. <laughs> Talk about a marathon. Dudes was waiting 10 years for Victory Lap. He was talking about Victory Lap in 2011. And after years of working overtime to prove himself, IT had landed with the Boston Celtics in 2015. This was one of the most storied franchises in the NBA. And IT quickly became not just one of their best players, but one of the best players in the entire league. Thomas on the drive, pull up jumper, it's good! Isaiah Thomas gives the Celtics He even earned the nickname Mr. Fourth Quarter. But it's tough to solve the puzzle that is the fourth quarter of Isaiah Thomas scoring. During the 2017 NBA season, IT was a legit MVP candidate who led the Celtics to the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. But it wasn't just their successes that continued to run in parallel lanes. The two friends were about to experience parallel tragedies. Horrible news surfacing regarding star Isaiah Thomas. His younger sister, 22 years young, killed in a car crash this evening, reportedly in the state of Washington. Thomas was told about this after practice today. Obviously, you can just imagine what's going through his mind with the game tomorrow. News of his sister China's death came on the eve of the Celtics' opening round playoff series against the Chicago Bulls. With Game 1 looming, people weren't sure whether or not IT would play. But that's the thing about marathon runners. They don't quit. 5-9 from Washington, number 4, IT, IT entered the TD Garden in Boston to a standing ovation before tip-off of Game 1. Had a moment of silence here at the Garden and tears streaming down the face of Isaiah Thomas. He will play. Surrounded by his teammates at center court, IT summoned immense strength under immense grief. Lopez closing out on, gives it right IT turned in a 33-point, 6-rebound, and 6-assist performance. It wasn't enough to win that night, but Thomas would ultimately lead Boston to a series victory. The Celtics can dribble it out as they defeat the Chicago Bulls four games to two. In the Eastern Conference Finals, IT aggravated a hip injury and was shut down for the remainder of the playoffs. Isaiah is limping. Something is wrong with him. His ankle or something or his hip. IT had to draw deep on Nipsey's message of the marathon to help push him through the pain, both on and off the court. And in that darkest of times, his friend reached out. When it happened, you know, he sent me a text. You know, if you need an ear, if you need somebody to vent to, if you need anything from my end, I'm here for you. Just knowing that 
somebody like himself saying something like that, like that meant everything to me. A little bit around that time, you know, one of his friends had passed too. Five months after IT's sister died, Nipsey lost one of his closest friends, Stephen Fats Donaldson. That was somebody that, you know, he grew up with. That was a business partner, you know, family, everything. Not even blood could have made Fats and Nipsey any closer. Fats was a co-founder and part owner of All Money In Records, and he had his hand in several other businesses with Nipsey. Fats is the reason I even knew about Nipsey in the first place, through our mutual friend, Brian Robinson. And I'll be honest with you, Fats is the reason you're even listening to this podcast right now. Fats, you know, that's one of my best friends. We just had a, a genuine friendship, you know what I mean? And also one of the people that really believed that we could do something else beside gangbang. In September 2017, Fats was gunned down outside a store in South L.A. He was 30 years old. Nipsey and the entire team were gutted. Here's Kabi Supreme. Man, that shit fucked shit up. It put us in a bad space, and, and we were trying to, like, get out of that space. We came this far from 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old to where the time where you were supposed to probably die, and it didn't happen. We make it all the way past that point for that shit to happen, and it was it was just, it was, we all was hurt off that. We still hurt. Felt like Twilight Zone, man. I couldn't believe it. You know, we had been through so much, and... You know, I thought we was invincible up to this point. He was a little different in his energy. That shit hurt him. That shit hurt him. Did you ever get down where it was like, man, this ain't going to work? That's why I call my thing the marathon, because yeah. I, I'm not going to lie and, and, and portray this ultimate poise. Like, I've been, had it figured out. No, nah, I just didn't quit. That's the only distinguishing quality from me and probably whoever else going through this or mm -hmm. went through this or is gonna go through this, is that I ain't quit. I went through every emotion. I went through mm. every emotion with trying to pursue what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Mm. And I think that what, what gonna separate whoever's gonna try to go for something is that you ain't gonna quit. Unless, you know, you're gonna really take the stance if I'm gonna die behind what I'm, what I'm getting at right now. Losing fats was another reason why Nipsey could have walked away from everything, but he stayed and the whole crew got to work. I think it just motivated everybody to um, get, this, get this album out, Victory Lap. Definitely put more pressure on Hustle to put out what we started with, bro. Because that's, that, that's the main focus. You know, after everything, we wanted to put the real album out. We got to do this for bro. When you go through shit like that, it, it, almost, it almost seemed like for nothing. And I know bro felt that way. Like, damn, we done did all this shit, and now bro gone. And then that was another reason for him to keep going. For all of us to keep going. Damn, I wish my nigga Fast was here. How you died 30-something after banging all them years? Grammy nominated in the sign of shedding tears. All this money, power, fame, and I can't make you reappear. But I'll wipe him, though. We just embraced the only life we know. If it was me, I'd tell you, nigga, lay your life and grow. You finish what we started, reach the heights, you know, and gas the V12 to the pipe and smoke. Like, you know, on Racks in the Middle, he said, I wish my nigga Fats was here. That was real. Like, he really wished that. And I think that was a missing piece that, you know, really got to him. Nipsey and IT grieved together, trading text messages and calls, just checking in. 
IT knew firsthand how bittersweet finishing victory lap without fats was for Nipsey. Some of my dopest moments, especially after my sister passed, was like, damn, I wish she was here to see this. Like, even when my daughter was born, it's like, damn, she would have, she would have loved, you know, being around my daughter. Like stuff like that. So that, I know, I know he missed that. I knew when I was making victory lap that at the, the point I was at in my career, I wasn't going to do nothing else till I felt I had an album with 14 or 16 great songs. My whole process was like, when it blow me away, I'm, I'm going to be ready to move. He wanted this debut album, some 15 plus years into his career, to launch him to superstardom. Nipsey felt like he was still on the cusp of greatness. Because he was. Greetings and salutations, Earth humans. My name is DJ Head. DJ Head is a radio personality in L.A. He's somebody that artists trust to critique their music. I'm going to tell you honestly what I think about your music before you even turn it into the label. So that way the label doesn't have a chance to fuck you before the public does. I'm that guy. As Nipsey was deep in the creation of Victory Lap, DJ Head came through the studio and offered his two cents. In a nutshell, what I told Nipsey was, you make highbrow, high-level boutique rap, which is fine. And, and we love it. But at the same time, you leaving all of this over here on the table. The radio station is available to you. You just have to you have to just make something that they can fuck with. We call it slaps, right? Give the people some slaps. Like the name Nipsey Hustle is bigger than all your songs at that time. This is what I was trying to explain to him. I'm like, at the moment you get a record to match your name, that's when they're they going to have to put you in them conversations. They're going to have to give you Grammy nominations. They're going to have to put you on the radio. They're going to have to give you these awards. Right now, though, you have a brand, but I need some slaps. And so, I mean, the, the, the mood was fucked up. He was smoking his blunt by the stairs, and we were just gonna, we were just about to leave. He kind of he pulls me aside, and he was like, hey, you know, um, you say crazy shit to niggas. Like, you say wild shit to niggas. And he was like, He's like, but you know, you know why they fuck with you? And I'm like, why, bro? He said, because your intentions are pure. And, and that's why I fuck with you. Last time that I checked, it was five chains on my neck. It was no smut on my rep. Last time that I checked, I was selling songs in the set. Make a quarter mil, no sweat. Last time that I checked, I'm the streets voice out west. Legendary self-made progress. Last time that I checked, first you get the money, the respect, and the power in the halls come next. Last time that I checked. Because of that conversation, he told me, I got you. I'm going to get you a record that the DJs can support. And that ended up being the last time that I checked record with YG. Last time that I checked, most definitely, as DJ Head would say, slaps. Victory Lap had his fair share of bangers, but this one was undeniable. Not even six months after losing his best friend, Nipsey Hussle was ready to put out his debut studio album. And the team was confident and proud. Every time Nip record, every time I hear something, I tell him the test is if I get goosebumps. Every record on Victory Lap, I got goosebumps when I first heard it. It gave me the chills. You know, when I first heard it, I was like, yo, this joint is classic. I said it off bass, like, this is joint, it's fire. For B-Dot and Garrett Kennedy, Victory Lap was the Nipsey project they had been waiting for. It wasn't until Victory Lap where I felt like I was listening to someone who was so 
firmly stepping into their voice as an MC, who was so firmly stepping into what they were as an artist, who they were in terms of like, this is what I want the public to understand about me. And there was something about it. Yeah, the, the whole album, it, it slapped, but he made lots of music that slapped. He made lots of music that, that hit really hard. But there was something about this project. We had heard about this record coming for years, you know, but then it happens and it's exquisite. Debbie Brown is the friend who had to tell a 23-year-old Nipsey that his first radio hit, Hustle in the House, was getting pulled off the air because of all the gangbanging references. So for her, the success of Victory Lap was deeply satisfying. I had first started hearing like the single in the car. Hearing it in the car was different, especially remembering what it was like to get him on the radio at all. You know, both he and I were much older at this point, successful in different ways. To be able to turn on the radio and hear his music, knowing how it started, I would just cry. <laughs> like, I legitimately, when I heard the whole album from start to finish, I cried. And I hit him up and I was like, I'm crying right now. <laughs> I was like, this project is so incredible. And his response to me was just like, Yo, if anybody knows, you know, like, thank you. Thank you for always being solid. You know, you're my sister. And I was like, I love you. I'm so proud. <laughs> it was a really powerful moment. And you already know the marathon continues. This shit don't stop. February 16, 2018, Victory Lab is officially out. So make sure y'all download the album, buy the album, stream the album, turn this shit up. The release was timed with NBA All-Star Weekend which just so happened to be in Los Angeles. Black Panther dropped that weekend too. And let me tell you something, as someone who was there on the ground, it was a celebration of blackness, of epic proportions. And Nip was the unofficial host. For it to drop and hit like it did, All-Star Weekend in LA, like it was just the perfect situation, it seemed like perfect moments. We're honored to be here, part of 2018 NBA All-Star. So uh, let's get this thing going, man. Let's have fun. I was at All-Star Weekend in LA. The song <laughs> for the weekend was Last Time Last I Checked. Time I checked. Every time I dropped that record all weekend long, yeah. the club went up. Love, man. So? Thank you, bro. I appreciate that. The weekend was like a gift or a race well run. It brought together hip-hop and basketball. Nipsey and his brothers in the NBA, all in his hometown. Victory Lap debuted as the number four album in the country. Nipsey had that classic album he always knew he would make, and it would be one that would bring him his first Grammy nomination. But the race wasn't over. As far as Nipsey was concerned, the marathon was just getting started. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. 
The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Coming up on the next episode of The King of Crenshaw. That's what it always was about for him. How can we do this? How can we motivate? How can we inspire the next set of guys that didn't have nobody? Nipsey said, we need Crenshaw to be the destination, not the pass-through. We was big on, like, getting some money and going back and, and try to buy the neighborhood back. There's this economic theory called leakage that almost every black community in the country has. Black people in that neighborhood make money and they leave their neighborhood to spend money. And what the Marathon store did was turn that on its head. So it said, okay, we're gonna create the value, but we're gonna make you come here to buy it. One of the things that Nipsey modeled was doing it out loud, very publicly calling for a reinvestment in the areas that you came from and not just to escape from them. It's gonna be impossible to talk about the history of South LA and not, and not at all mention Nip. I think he left us, especially black men, a blueprint for what worthiness looks like. I don't even know if he realized how big he was, if he realized how many people related to what he was speaking on, how many people he inspired. This life is a marathon, man. Life is a marathon. That's next on The King of Crenshaw from 30 for 30 Podcast and The Undefeated. The King of Crenshaw was reported and hosted by me, Justin Tinsley. Senior producer is Joanne Griffith. Our production team, Gus Navarro, Dave King, and Derwin Graham. The series was edited by Julia Lowry Henderson, senior editorial producer for 30 for 30 Podcasts, and Steve Reese, deputy editor for The Undefeated. Executive producers, Aaron Layden, Brian Lockhart, Kevin Meredith, and Raina Kelly. Additional production support, Meredith Hodnot, Mitra Caboli, and Eve Wolf. Original music by Lawrence Dobson and Lamar Edwards of 1500 and Nothing. Music supervisor, Kevin Wilson. Mix engineering by Ryan Ross-Smith, Garrett Lang, and Ben Tolliday. Project manager and licensing, Kath Sankey. Jennifer Thorpe provided additional licensing support. Development. Adam Newhouse and Trevor Gill. Chantre Kamak is our talent director. And Cherie Stevens, our associate talent director. Demi Lauren created the original artwork for the series. Roger Jackson provided fact-checking. Alan Lau provided legal review. Special thanks to Riley Bloom, Holly Tenty, Jonathan Larson, Anthony Salas, the team at Podville Media, and everyone who made time to speak with us for this series. 